0: This podcast is brought to you by Learn Prime. Start your journey to becoming a great developer at learn.thoughtbot.com.
1: Giant robots smashing
0: into other giant robots. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Giant Robots Smashing into Other Giant Robots podcast. It is Wednesday, August 28th. My name is Ben Orenstein. I'm here today with Des Trainer. How's it going, Des? It's going great, thanks. I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that you're probably an Irishman.
1: I am Irish, yeah. Born and bred. I've basically lived in Dublin, Ireland all my life, but I went to San Francisco for six months in 2003 and worked in a hotel. And I really love the city. And I guess for the past three years, I've been over and back maybe six to ten times a year.
0: And we actually uh, talked to, with Paul Campbell a few episodes ago.
1: Oh, right. Yeah. I, I used to work with Paul Campbell. He's uh, he's super cool. He's great product, great company, great guy.
0: Mm-hmm. yeah. So you are the uh head of customer success for Intercom IO. That's right.
1: It's just called Intercom. Uh,
0: okay.
1: but, yeah. Uh, but yeah, so as the company has grown, uh we've we started off as just four people, so like there was a lot more like sort of role overlap and like a given day you'd be as likely to jump into, you know, some UX or some wireframes as you would a blog post as you would a customer issue. But as we've grown and we've brought on more and more amazing people, uh different like, you know, we've basically Become more specialized in what we do. So a lot of what I do right now is just looking out for our customers who are great and making sure that they're getting all the service they need uh, from the product, making sure they're being successful in their usage of the product, and uh, also feeding back into product exactly what stuff we're getting right and getting wrong.
0: So do you, do you have a lot of co- contact with customers then?
1: I do. Yeah, we have. Uh, so there's three sort of uh, three people who like, would work with our customers directly, as in when someone reports an issue, it'll fall onto play. And what I when I tend to talk to customers, it's usually it's not so much I'm struggling to get it installed. It's much more, you know, we have a quarter of a million users and we'd like to plan a messaging schedule. Could you help us with that sort of, you know, so it of t- tends to be kind of higher level, more usage related and less technical related.
0: So we should probably uh, give you a chance to sort of give the elevator pitch. What is Intercom? So Intercom is a
1: communications platform for web businesses. So anyone who has a web product that people use Intercom will give them all the information they need to identify who's using their product and how, and let, then let them communicate with their customers based on what they do or don't do in the product. classic example would be, I'd like to talk to people who have not invited their teammates to the product after three days. So, Intercom lets you set up automatic rules for stuff like that, and then handles all the responses. So you can kind of keep supporting your customers through it.
0: Mm. And that ability just to sort of segment people, I think, is really powerful. At so this, you're only contacting you're contacting certain slices of your user base rather than kind of blasting everyone at once.
1: Exactly. So I think you know a lot of people you know they don't they didn't set out to spam their customers, but what happens is the tools don't give them a choice. So they might realize, oh, you know what, not everyone's using our new report generator. So they're like, okay, let's do a marketing newsletter and they mail 24,000 people. But it turns out maybe only like 16,000 of them needed to get a mail. And maybe if you look at those 16,000, maybe like 12,000 of those are dead accounts. So maybe 4,000 of them need a mail. And then when you realize you're talking to specific users who have been active this month and are definitely on the, on the paid plan so that they can use a feature, you can all of a sudden write a far more targeted message to those guys that's more likely to work. One of the things we believe is that the future of marketing is both personal and personalized. And the numbers alone will drive this change because every time we send every time we see like, you know, a spammy or like badly targeted newsletter, we just kinda know and are good. It's, it's not going to convert as well as like, hey Des, I know you've looked at these shoes three times. Uh they're now on sale. Would you like to buy it? I'm like, oh that's nice. You know, it's just a different tone. So uh, so We encourage our customers to be as well-targeted as possible by using the segmenting feature and then be as human and personal as possible when they're actually writing the message.
0: And it looks like you guys offer the ability to have people send you sort of custom events or custom attributes on users so you can do segmentation like that. Exactly. You can t- you can
1: track anything you want about your customers in intercom. You can
0: basically send us any data and we just do intelligent stuff with it. So if you send us a string,
1: we can do like contains, begins with or whatever. If you send us numbers like the average cart value for a customer, we can tell you if they, you know, spent more than a thousand dollars or not. So that's what kinda of how people build their segments.
0: And it looks like you guys offer the ability to have people send you sort of custom events or custom attributes on users, so you can do segmentation like that. Exactly, you
1: can tra- you can track anything you want about your customers in Intercom. You can basically send us any data, and we just do intelligent stuff with it. So if you send us a string, we can do like contains, begins with, or whatever. If you send us numbers, like the average cart value for a customer, we can tell you if they you know spend more than a thousand dollars or not. So that's what kind of how people build their segments.
0: So. If if you were uh, talking to a new customer of yours, um, what what is a good basic strategy for a software as a service application in terms of messaging their users for people that are doing nothing right now? Yeah,
1: so I kind of the first thing we do is we'd step back and sort of say what does success look like for a customer? So let's say you're um, a project management tool. Well, success is usually you know have they created a few projects? Have they invited teammates? Have they uploaded files or posted messages? Um, If there's a calendar in there, are they using the calendar? So we kind of get a a kind of a definition of what does success look like. Often Intercom itself will kind of show you this because you can filter down to the, you know, certain attributes. You like, right, these are the guys who we want all our customers to be like. So then you look at what the actual product onboarding is like and you think, are, are we promoting the right features at the right time? So a classic example would be, say, a feature like a report generator. You can't actually promote that on like usage one because you've got nothing to report so you're trying to say hey generate like you know all the analytics tools in the world fall for this to like go here to generate your report and you're like generate we have no data i'm like right nice one you know uh whereas what is a good thing to do there is like set up some segments set up some funnels you know they're proper early tasks so what we encourage people to do is like sort of map out a timeline of how a customer evolves and then based on that, there are certain points at which if they haven't passed this point as in, they have not invited their teammates, we need to motivate them to do it. So we'll say, well, what communication would explain to them why they actually need to do this? And then we work out like what what content do we have? Is it just a simple you should go here and do this? Or is there a video that explains it? Or is there a certain screen we can point them to? Or you know, what what you know, there's always an appropriate message for any given task. So We basically, you know, you can imagine a timeline of all the different things the user should be doing and then each of them, like, you give them a certain amount of time to do it because, you know, another way people get this wrong is, like, you sign up and get hit with, like, 45 emails. Like It's like, now upload a photo, you know. Um, So what we try to do is allocate a certain amount of time in between each task and then target messages both inside the product and by email to promote different things. So one thing Intercom does that a lot of... uh, a lot of like automated emailers don't do this. We can also communicate inside your product, which is actually a much more effective time to promote certain tasks. So if somebody's logging in every day, you don't email them and say you should invite your team. You tell them the next time they log in, and you give them a form to say invite your team. Put the addresses here. We're ready to rock. You know, uh, and like the click through or response rates for communicating with somebody in the product versus outside of the product is just. The difference is remarkable. We're, we're actually collecting some data on this, but it's, uh, it's equivalent to the, di- the difference between, like, you know, your local bar is sending you an email saying, Would you like a beer? or the barman in the bar saying, Would you like a beer? You can imagine there's a slight difference in conversion rate. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so I want to actually move backwards in time a little bit. So you uh, used to run a consulting company, right?
1: That's right. So Owen McCabe, who's our CEO of Intercom, he uh, founded Contrast, which I joined, and uh, we were there was at any given time it was four or five or six of us. But yeah, we uh, we were a consultancy. We primarily uh, designed web products. We also built them occasionally, and uh, and one of the things we well we, we launched a few of our own products while we were doing this the most successful of which was exceptional which I'm guessing you guys might know about
0: yes yeah we're familiar with it you were a, a comp- we were, we used to be competitors back before we both sold to the same person
1: that's exactly right yeah so uh, that w- that was fun um but yeah uh, so it, it was actually uh, the sale of exceptional was what laid the groundwork for us to continue working on something else uh, so that was why where intercom was born
0: oh interesting and and now intercom is uh, venture backed Intercom is
1: venture backed. We've raised a seed round of a million dollars, and then we raised a Series A of five point seven five, I believe, million dollars. The lead investors in our A round were Social Capital Partnership, which are incredibly talented group of people to work with.
0: How is life different uh, working on a venture funded company as opposed to your original one, like exceptional?
1: It's the biggest, I, I guess. Well. It's kind of... It, we're not comparing like and like here because when we were working on Exceptional, we had to fight for every error from consultancy as well. So it, it was really exceptional. Was It was a hard slog because, you know, you'd spend 30 hours a week trying to keep clients happy, 10 hours a week trying to keep customers happy. Um, so it's not really uh, apples and apples comparison. The main differences in Intercom, uh, I feel, that is that we uh, we have basically a lot more ability to achieve the things that we know we can achieve because we don't have clients dragging us back to their project. Um, but, but to actually, to, to comment fairly, I guess, it w- would have to be the case that we, had, we were all had free time. You know, we had 40 hours a week to work on exceptional. Then I could actually tell you what or not, like you know uh, the, what the trade-offs exactly are. But right now, it's, a, it's certainly, a, I wouldn't go down the previous route again, I'll put it that way.
0: What made you want to take investment for this company?
1: Um, we believe that it's going to be one of the biggest software companies of the next generation, and we believe that you know it's absolutely headed in the right direction, and that waiting and waiting and waiting to grow it off revenue, uh, or or like you know waiting longer to grow it off profit, um, the opportunity was there today. It, it was been there for the, for the year, or the two years, and I, I don't think. Um, I don't think we would be comfortable sitting tight watching many, many venture backed companies uh, move into the space and tiptoe around it in different ways while we're there still trying to, you know, raise money or, sorry, still trying to satisfy client work. You know, a lot of this is motivated by the difficulty of client work on top of trying to build software product, having like two different focuses that are wildly different where your heart is in one and not in the other. And you're still expected to deliver your best work is a, it's just a, it's a phenomenal challenge, and I know different people have gotten through it in different ways with varying degrees of success. Some amazing success, some mediocre, some pretty decent. Um, but uh, we're happy, or you know, happy with how it turned out. But like you know, I don't think we choose to go to go through it again.
0: So, uh, what do you of the things that you do for your job? What do you think you're best at? Probably writing and communicating.
1: Um, I feel that that's a uh, that's something I've always kind of had a reasonable talent for. Um, I've always kind of enjoyed explaining things, educating people. Uh, I've, I've always enjoyed writing articles and getting feedback and responses, and like learning myself. So um, it's probably the area where I'm, where I can probably deliver most value. Uh, there are there's lots of things I do on a day to day basis, but like uh, if I had to point to things that I consider to be like, you know, my strong suit, that would definitely be it. Hmm.
0: Uh, yeah, I'll say the Inside Intercom blog is awesome. Thank you. I'm, I'm a big fan. Uh, I've, I've come across a bunch of the posts before and then read a bunch more for this podcast and they're just awesome. Thanks. Thanks. Yeah. It's, a, it's
1: like, you know, that's one of my responsibilities and uh, you know, you have it, which is it's a passion. I also have to take it seriously to make sure that we continue to produce content. So it's kind of, it's balancing those two can often be a bit of
0: tricky. Do you make the graphics for the posts? Is that no, uh,
1: I wireframe the graphics. And then we have a fantastic designer called Frantisek, uh, who basically he takes my wireframes and makes them look fanta- look the way, the way they look. Uh, like usually, I'm, I'm a big believer in visual thinking, so I always kind of feel like any, any solid point I ever want to make in an article, I try to do three things. I try to explain it as simple as possible, give an analogy um and give an example and then lastly provide a visual if, if a visual can be appropriate so if i'm trying to represent like how two forces can sort of have tension with each other i'll you know do like a chart and it'll be you know there'll be different constraints on either side illustrated with like the logos of companies who represent it or whatever so i would i just think it kind of it makes it you know it makes it harder to thoroughly really not understand a point if you've got four different bites of the apple, you know
0: yeah absolutely um, and it, it's, it, it targets readers and also scanners yeah. They're kind of just flipping through like, Oh, that's a cool graphic. And then, oh, okay. I think I get the gist of this.
1: Exactly. I, I find that that's certainly true. We, we only have like, um, moderate data on this, but I find that, um, you know, people share the images and then share the blog post, but yeah, certainly scanners will see things like they'll see some like fantastic flow chart and like, what the hell is this? And then they're like, sometimes like, you know, if, uh, that's what actually motivates to read.
0: Oh yeah, Absolutely. So I, I liked, uh, I think it was your most recent post on um, where you sort of say that bloated press releases tend to reflect bloated companies mm-hmm. and like extra words are like extra code, for example. Yep, yeah. I thought that was just an awesome analogy.
1: Yeah. It's, um, it's something I've been kind of thinking about. Like, so maybe like two weeks ago, I tweeted something to the effect of like writing and communicating is basically what the majority of what most people's jobs are in this you know new knowledge economy or whatever you want to call it specifically in the software industry most of what people do is communicate uh especially true for designers or product managers project managers ceos etc so the idea that like you know you're you know you're born with whatever ability you have you go to school you go to university you pop out to other side and you stop getting good at communication it kind of doesn't suit well with me and yet it seems to be the default like People tend to pick up new languages or new, you know, design tools or they will go to like courses on like, you know, how to do better UX, how to like design better interactions, how to do better personas, how to learn how to use like Go or Clojure. And they'll come back with a new set of knowledge. But unless you're brushing up in your communication skills, uh, your writing skills, et cetera, at the same time they're going to kind of lag and then therefore limit your impact. So it's no good knowing something really, really well if you can't explain it and teach it to your team. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I, I think, like, it, it came from, like, the post sort of came from a frustration. that Like, you know, people say, like, uh, you know, it's obvious BlackBerry or we're in trouble or whatever. And I was like, yeah, but, I mean, like, you know, does it seem like there's an organized mind behind this press release? You know, and then, like, you compare that with something like, say, Steve Jobs' uh, post, Thoughts on Flash, which was, Arguably a harder thing to write, which is now he's trying to deconstruct why his company is exactly going to ignore one of the most popular technologies of our generation, but like there's not a sentence in that that isn't well really well thought out, really well argued. The concluding paragraph is perfect, and this isn't just you know praise Steve Jobs, there's plenty of great communicators out there in in the article, I think I talked about Warren Buffett as well. It doesn't surprise me at all that like the great you know great people in in the indus- mm-hmm. in any industry can usually communicate really, really well. And that's probably what makes them great. Like, uh, even, like, if you read, like, uh, Bill Gates' letters from the Gates Foundation, like, the the depth of thought and, uh, and also, like, the way that he explains different issues, and he deals with complicated issues, like, you know, like, you know, meningitis vaccinations, polio, er- eradicating polio, et cetera. But, like, he, you know, he really doesn't, he leaves you in no doubt, one, that he understands what to do, and two, that he's the right person to do it. And, uh... You compare that with like BlackBerry's strategic alternatives memo, and you're just like, "Yeah, a gang of guys who don't have a clue how to communicate are going to try and do something that's ultimately going to not achieve anything." And like that's, they might as well have re- released that as a press release.
0: Yeah, and, and it's interesting how it seems to me there are certain situations that make people think they need to sound authoritative mm-hmm. and need to add extra words to do so. Like, press releases is totally one of them. Or just, like, general company communications. It's like, well, we're a big company now, and so every time we write something, it's going to be full of a a bunch of words. Exactly. We don't
1: use things anymore. We utilize them. You know, it's... uh, it's That's what, like, uh, I think in the book Revising Prose, it's referred to as, like, the curse of official style, which is, like, you know... People like, you know, you and me could be like walking to the bus stop together, having a certain, having a conversation, you know, hey, did you see the game last night? Hey, what do you think about uh, Debbie in accounts? Is she good? And you're like, no, I think she's going to quit. I don't, you know, and the whole conversation is so fluent, so natural and so concise and meaningful. And then we take it to email and it's like further to your uh, predefined conversation regarding our operational accountant. I would like to suggest that we possibly consider re-architecting her position or de-scoping her, you know. That's just like, whoa, whoa, you know, this is not necessary. Like, and there is, like, it's one of those areas, like, I mean, I'm not pro, you know, companies who are like, let's throw away all, you know, typical ideas about how a company should be run. Um, but I just think that communication works better when it's clear, direct, and simple. You know, and uh, and I think official style it tends to be it tends to result in a lot of posturing. It's something I see a lot when I, I used to review uh, guest posts for a different site. And what I would find is that when you actually keep scratching at like official style text, it starts to fall away, and there's very little left behind. So, like you might read a paragraph that, like you know, it'll start off with like you know. 21st century you so have seen the advent of many new technologies and it'll list out like 20 different things and I'm like, you know, one of the common themes and, and, you know, it'll go on and on and on but like the actual nutshell of what it says is that usability is really important.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: you're like, okay, I think there's a more concise way to get to that point, you know?
0: Totally. What, one thing I do is I often, I'll uh, coach some people on their talks, conference talks mm-hmm. and a lot of the times I'll listen to their introduction and their introduction takes eight minutes yeah. and then I'll stop and I'll say, okay, what have we learned so far? We're eight minutes in. And I'll summarize what they've said in, like, one sentence or two. Mm-hmm. And I'll say, say, is that right? And they'll say, yes. I'll say, okay. So that's your first sentence, and now we're done yeah. with the introduction.
1: Yeah. It, first, it, I see. And I think, uh, I think uh, conference speaking brings with it the same weight of, like, uh, you know, people believe that they need to behave a certain way to be perceived as official, Right. So it's like you must stand stiff behind a podium and you must go quiet. It's like, you know, even what's more frustrating now is you see people mimicking the TED style, which is like, you know, I'm giving a presentation, but every now and then I'll pause and look wistfully into the air, hoping that like the audience will understand how, how like, important my point is that, right. you know, that the first iPod had a scroll wheel or something like that. You know. um, <laughs> but yeah, like I think there's a lot of what happens is I think people just, people mimic, other what they seem to be like the traits of other successful people mm-hmm. until the point where like what they actually do is perfectly mimic the traits of no one in particular but they also fail to say anything while they're doing it.
0: Yeah, I, I, it's you had a great screenshot in the this uh, make every word matter post where it's uh, it looks like a diff it's like a word diff and it has it shows like a final product with a bunch of words cut out basically. Yeah, and I thought that was a perf that's a perfect visual for that because I I like whenever I write. Almost anything, but especially blog posts, it's like I find that most of my time is spent chopping out things that I've written, making three words, one word, killing entire sentences. Exactly. It, like, uh, I think that's,
1: you know, like, you know, I would pay for an API for that, if you know what I mean. Uh, like it's, I think one thing you realize over time is that writing and editing are actually the same task. Like, you know people, you know I know like for efficiency and workflow it might actually make sense to go and write a few paragraphs then come back and go through it but it's it's actually the exact same part of the brain I guess the only difference is that uh, you can be forgiving to let yourself ramble in a paragraph as long as you know you're gonna catch it when you come back but certainly like I would say I probably spend more time deleting words and trying to work out ways to reduce what I'm saying even like down to things like I'll debate whether or not a second example is actually any better than just one alone and stuff and you know the shorter in in general I'm happiest when my final post is like half the size of my starting post because I just know that you know people are more likely to read more of it and also get the same point you know one thing people don't realize is like when you go like really you know long or like just rambly in a post you actually damage clarity not directly because you can still use really simple english words but you damage the chances that anyone who tries to read the piece gets through it all and therefore gets all your points um so like there's a weird relationship there like often when i say to people to be be concise they presume it means so that people can read it shortly or whatever but i'm like not just that because it's also the amount of time you allocate them to really understand it so you know that's why i think like seth godin's great at this so he'll like He really had a blog post two or three years ago that said, like, it was something along the lines of this. Maybe the reason price is all your customers care about is because you haven't given them anything else to care about. Full stop. That's the entire blog post. Now, you can totally see how somebody could take that and make it nine paragraphs and throw in, like, heaps of images and stuff like that. And, like, certainly I've been guilty of similar in the past. But what I think Seth's great at is, like, Everyone who read that post got his point and also, like, had an extra few minutes to think about it, you know, whereas, like, you know, some posts, it really feels like, you know, you're just eating all these vegetables. You're like, God, I mean, maybe if I have one more paragraph, it'll start to make sense. Maybe another one. Is there anything here, you know?
0: Yeah, absolutely. This is – and I, I going back to speaking, I always bring this principle into my talks, which is – when you start the talk, you have about like 95% attention level. Like you have roughly that many people in the room listening to you. Within five minutes, half of those people are gone if yeah. you're not amazingly entertaining. And so I always try to front load as much as possible. It's like say the most important stuff immediately while people are still listening. And then as people tune out, at least you've already hit them with your best thing.
1: Yeah, I think that's a great point. And another, just as a, another example of this principle applies. we're like doing a lot of videos for Intercom right now, like a lot of screencasts and it's the same like uh, idea. Most web screencasts have these like protracted introductions where it's like, you know, welcome to our seminar. We are going to show you the ins and outs of how to calculate your payroll. Meet Debbie. Debbie's twenty four. She work-. I'm just like get to the point. I just want to see how you know, What button do I click? So uh, yeah, like the idea of front loading content is as appropriate in a speech as it is in a blog post, as it is in a screencast, as it is in, honestly, a form field label for usability reasons. And that's kind of brings us back to the other point, which is like the same mindset that writes five lines of code too many puts in five radio buttons too many, you
0: know? Yeah. One of my favorite quotes about uh, writing is, get to the point and stay there. Yeah. Yeah, it's a good one. Yeah. So another awesome uh, post from the blog was talking about asking good questions. Right, And not asking leading questions that sort of tell you what you want to hear. So the example you have was, a bad question is, would you use Feature X if we built it? Mm-hmm. Um, which has all, all kinds of problems with it. And then a better version is, the last time you used Feature X, what were you trying to do?
1: Sure. So uh, so first up, to give full credit, that post was written by Paul Adams, who's our, our head of product design. Um, but yeah, like his point is rock solid. Uh, the biggest danger I think you get in interviewing customers about anything is talking about espoused behavior so people talking about what they might do or what they would do and you can get this like it's you combine that with a few of the other things he talks about but uh, for me like the the biggest criminal one is like combining ask combining a hypothetical with a one-way bet and a one-way bet is would you like this feature Mm -hmm. and the reason I call that a one-way bet is because you're not telling them what the opportunity cost is So a a thing I used to do way back was uh, I'd always ask a question, but, you know, if it was feature specific, I'd try and work out what job it is they're actually trying to do. And I'd say, would you rather the product could do that job or would you rather it was just faster? And the reason I always just threw in just faster is because everyone understands what that means. And it also makes them realize, well, you know, do I want a tab that generates Gantt charts or do I just wish this whole thing was a bit quicker? Because at least now you're making, you're forcing me to make a trade off. Yeah, now, it, it doesn't mean like that you have to go and work at speed, but it means that you're now making your customers realize that like there are other things. I think you know, it, it's just it's a bit dodgy to like just kind of ask your customers one way because it's kind of like me saying to you, like, you know, would you like a Mars bar? And you're like, all right. And if I said, "Would you like a Mars bar or a thousand dollars?" You're like, oh, "I'll take the thousand dollars." But then if it's like, "Would you like a Mars bar? Or would you like an, an apple every day for the rest of the week?" And you're like, "All right." Now you're actually thinking about how you value a Mars bar. Whereas, "Would you like a Mars bar?" is like, "Sure, why not?" You know, you, you haven't even bothered considering if you value it because, mm. like, you know, product managers make the trade-off of product complexity based on number of features, but users don't. Even though users will behave based on the trade-off, they won't make it themselves. Like, there is no one. I even see this myself. Like I use, like, say something like Keynote, reasonably complex thing. I actually want more stuff in there, but then if they add more stuff, I'll be like, you know what? Someone needs to disrupt the Keynote with a really light, simple thing. You know, uh, it's just it's it's a different mindset of a user versus somebody who's actually directing a product.
0: Mm, I love I love that idea of giving them even a simple thing to weigh the the choice against, even if it's sort of sort of abstract. Well, not abstract, but you know, it's it's just faster is a good general thing to say. By the yeah. way, there are other things we can do with our time.
1: Exactly, yeah. So it's like, given that we're going to build stuff, is this actually something you'd, you'd value versus speed? And I guess it, that doesn't work if you're something like your product, if you're like something like you know, Basecamp Next or whatever, where the product's lightning fast already, people are like, yeah, no, that's cool. Um, but in general, like most web products could be faster, and, and users understand that.
0: And Basecamp intentionally already made that those trade-offs yeah. and focused on speed. That was one of their main design goals.
1: Yeah, and, and they absolutely nailed it, like, you know.
0: Mm-hmm. and it's it's fun to use because of that yeah uh so do you do a lot of podcasts
1: i most of the time i'm on your uh, on your side of it in that uh, i interview other people um so we've done some interviews we talked about ryan singer from 37 signals we talked to Josh porter from hubspot andy Bud um from clear left ux london and Garrett demon from sifter and we've got a couple more coming up um and, yeah, I, I enjoyed them. I, I occasionally talk to other, to other uh, companies such as yourselves. But uh, in general, it's not, you know, my, my fear with these things is usually that uh, you, can, you can often um, be ambushed with, like, you know, horrible questions like, you know, what is the future of technology? And, like, it, it is literally impossible to answer that question and sound smart. You know, you either think you're arrogant enough to know, <laughs> right, or you say you don't know. In which case, you don't know the answer to the one question you're definitely going to ask. You know,
0: so uh, yeah. So, it, so if I shouldn't ask you that question, what question should I ask you?
1: It, that's a pretty that's a pretty tricky question. What should you ask me about me? I don't know. Like, I mean, the main stuff I've done in my life has been like user experience work. It's been you know writing articles. It's been learning what it means to grow and scale a, a support team and handle customer queries and um, then there's obviously being like, you know, basic startup stuff. Um, mm. But
0: What about um, like side passions or something like that?
1: Um, my, my, probably my biggest side passion is soccer. Um, and I think soccer probably, I spend two hours a week playing soccer on Wednesdays and Mondays. And it's the, probably the one 60 minute period guaranteed in my life, bar maybe a great trip to the cinema where like there is no chance of me taking my phone out. There is no chance of me even remotely thinking about work for a second. It's just 60 minutes of like adrenaline and, you know, running and, you know, passionate screaming and shouting at people and doing your best. But uh, it's, you know, it's it's probably, probably in a weird way. It's the most, it's definitely the most strenuous thing I do. And it's definitely mentally taxing, but it's also oddly relaxing at the same time. Because it's like literally when the studs hit the grass, work is something that's left behind. And it's true for everyone there, you know.
0: So did you say soccer because this is an American podcast? Partially.
1: Uh, partially because it's American podcast. Also, in the island of Ireland, we have a second sport called Gaelic football. And depending on who you're speaking to, if you say football, you could mean that. So soccer, whilst it gets me abuse from people from Britain, it's actually clear enough for the rest of the world. So, uh,
0: so how do you guys use uh, Intercom internally?
1: Yeah, so we built Intercom on Intercom, and uh, most of the features in Intercom are there to make Intercom better using Intercom on Intercom. So yeah, we've uh we we do all the best practices you'd expect. We have a really tight message schedule that we onboard people pretty well. We uh we proactively communicate with people who when we can see their account is in an erroneous state. We um what what are, what's the other low hanging fruit? We we promote good content to our users. So things like we we advertise our blog and stuff like that. Uh, like true in-app messaging. So people log in and they're like struggling to set up a uh, a message schedule or something like that. We'll be like, hey, go check out this video. Go check out this article, et cetera. So we have like, we have a pretty extensive message schedule, but it's also spaced out enough such that it'll never feel spammy to anyone, hmm. which is a challenge because I think a lot of, you know, as marketing automation has become more popular, a lot of companies make this mistake that it's just like send all the mails. And that can kind of you know that just costs you unsubscribes and ultimately once you lose a once you lose a customer's subscription to what you have to say to them, you've effectively lost them. And you know who hasn't lost them? Your competitors, because they haven't even talked to them yet. You know, so I, I always encourage people to like to be really wary of that. Basically, sending irrelevant targeted uh, irrelevant badly targeted messages costs you your ability to talk to customers. They will filter you directly out of your inbox or they will mentally filter you or physically filter you or they'll click to unsubscribe either way you've now actually lost the relationship full stop because it's it's built upon communication it would be like trying to date somebody who was who was chosen to never hear you again you know it's 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 not going to go too well um so like it's kind of a we really have to encourage our own customers to be like that as well but yeah we we use it pretty heavily. There's like really cool things that Intercom does. Like it sends us a mail every morning at 7am, does this for all our customers about who signed up for your product. And it ranks the, ranks the users by how interesting they are and the interestingness is defined by how many users, uh, sorry, how big your company is, what their like, uh, what their Alexa ranking on their domain is, if they're on Twitter, how many followers they have, you know, we have a really good sorting on interesting. So it's a, uh, it's probably one of the most interesting things is like to wake up each morning and be like, all right, what's going on in the business? And you'll see like, you know, someone from like some big company, like let's say it could be like, you know, like Tim Cook from Apple has signed up. And you're like, oh shit. You know, and uh, your immediate reaction is, all right, we need to get on this. And that alone can kind of, you know, it changes behavior in a subtle but important way, which means like people, because of intercoms in the world, no one ever misses important signups. I remember in the days growing exceptional, like, it was tricky to find out who, you know, who influential people were when they'd signed up. Um, So, uh, you know, so say someone from, let's say at the time, it could be like somebody from Adobe would sign up for Exceptional. And we'd find out like a week and a half later. I'm like, hey, somebody from Adobe signed up a week and a half ago. Oh, sweet. Did they use us? No. All right. I know you reach out to them, but like it's nine or 10 days later and like they're gone. You know, they've probably gone to, Pop toad, or they've gone to some know. But like the point being, like they went to it. They probably encountered some friction, and they got no answer. These days, that doesn't happen because, like you know, with intercom, one will know about it. Two, we have the ability to communicate with them directly. Three, we can also set up automatic automatic communication rules, such as if they signed up and they haven't integrated, or they haven't integrated but they haven't done this, put them onto this segment. Which means the des will catch up in the morning when he comes in, and he'll be first onto them, and he'll be, make sure they get through. So um, I think intercom, like, that's what, when I'm, when you're asking about investments and like that, it's like, that's, to me, is going to be a transformative change in the nature of SaaS businesses. And uh, that's, like, that's the opportunity that that's at stake here. So um, that's, you know, we use it, and, like, you know, I guess we get, like, first-hand knowledge of the actual power of doing something like this.
0: So I see on your About page that it looks like every, all the, most people on the company, and, and I think the whole engineering team is in Dublin. Mm-hmm. Um, is Dublin a big engineering city is it easy to find people that are there or will move there
1: yeah it's it's very big engineering city so um google have their european headquarters here they employ about two and a half thousand people microsoft employ about two thousand people facebook have european headquarters here twitter uh dropbox airbnb are coming over zendesk are here you know there's a there's no shortage of software firms in Dublin, which means it's, uh, it, that brings with it its own uh, plethora of engineers. Um, that's one whole thing. Secondly, we're pretty well connected in Dublin because of our background. In contrast, because of our background exceptional. exceptional, um, people know who we are. They know what we're doing. We're well regarded. We're reasonably well respected. So it kind of it makes it pretty. It's kind of it makes it pretty. I wouldn't say easy, but like you know, more scalable to grow an engineering team. Because, because of all those advantages um certainly like you know software is probably the biggest industry in Ireland these days and uh which is just i think it's a function of being like a english-speaking country in the eurozone but it's also definitely a function of tax breaks as well it's basically it's you, you can save a lot of money incorporating in Ireland and running your european sales through our country um but you know most companies start off doing that and that alone like as in it might start off as like an 80 person office like google did but like you know it's quite clear. There's other advantages too. Otherwise, they wouldn't have, you know, employed another two and a half thousand people on top of it.
0: Yeah, I had no idea Dublin was such a big deal. I have to come visit. Yeah, you must do. Awesome. Uh, all right. Well, Des, thanks for coming by and chatting with us. It was awesome talking to you.
1: It's very good talking to you, too. Uh, uh, I love the podcast. So I'm kind of, <laughs> I guess this is the one episode I won't have to listen to. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes. If you'd like to access the show notes for this episode, you can go to thoughtbot.com slash giant slash 64. That's a new URL. Thanks to Chad Pytel. Uh, it, today's podcast was recorded and edited by Mike Manner and produced by Chad Pytel. Thanks for listening.